Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast. Today, I'm speaking to Director of Performance Science at Kitman Labs and Performance Coach at the US Men's National Team, Darcy Norman. Thanks to you named episode 230 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. Firstly, as you can probably hear, I am absolutely dying with man flu. However, um, coming up in the next 45 to 50 minutes is a unbelievable chat with Darcy Norman. So Darcy holds the record for the most downloaded episodes in the first month of podcast release. So I was... um, lucky enough to meet Darcy in the summer and gave him his trophy. So it was great to get him on for a part two where we discuss his transition from AS Roma to his role with Kitman Labs and his role with the US men's national team. We also discuss high performance structures, um, looking at high performance manager, the role of the high performance manager and how Darcy has obviously worked on both sides of the coin now in the club setting and in the national team setting. So how he deals with with that and obviously his knowledge of both sides, how he makes it easy for the other side. Also discuss injury reduction strategies and how Kitman Labs use use the data that collected on their system to inform what goes on on a day-to-day basis in a club and a national team. So fantastic episode with Darcy, long overdue part two, which I'm sure you'll really enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Kitman Labs, sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a great team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. So Kitman Labs partners with leading sports teams to achieve consistent success on and off the pitch. So over 150 teams across the globe use Kitman's athlete optimization system to simplify daily operations and rely on the company's unique analytics to uncover the factors that influence success. So with these objective insights in hand, teams can now answer the most pressing questions and increase certainty in training and development strategies. Kitman delivers immediate impact and helps teams reduce injury risk, increase on-field performance and align coaching and performance staff. So each year, Kitman Labs hosts a one-of-a-kind event, the Kitman Labs Performance Summit. And this year's event is going to be held on the uh, on Wednesday, the 20th of March, at the Millbank Towers in Westminster in London. So I've just Googled that. It looks absolutely incredible uh, location to hold an event like this. So again, Kitman have produced an awesome lineup of guests from Martin Bushite, uh, Darcy Norman, and Jim Liston, the Director of Sports Science at Toronto FC. So if you are interested in attending, the guys at Kitman have been very, very generous to offer listeners of the Pacey Performance Podcast a discount of £75. So you can get to this conference for £100, which is an absolute bargain. Um, there's going to be links on my Twitter and also links to the, uh, to the podcast page on strengthofscience.com forward slash 227. This episode of the Pace Performance Podcast is also sponsored by iMeasureU, who are a world-leading inertial sensor and software platform which is able to quantify body movement and workload metrics in the field. So iMeasureU is used by leading biomechanics researchers worldwide to capture and compare multi-limb inertial data in the field. So iMeasureU recently released IMU Step, which is a dual sensor and app solution for lower limb load monitoring and has been used successfully by practitioners to optimize return to play for running base sports predominantly. So unlike GPS, IMU Step focuses on lower limb musculoskeletal load and works via two really small synchronized high frequency tibial worn sensors. And these sensors can quantify three dimensional force of every step an athlete takes, precise left and right limb load asymmetry and cumulative bone load. 
So Imagier was founded by leading biomechanist Dr. Tor Bazir and was acquired by Vicon last year in 2017. So Imagier works with military, Olympic, pro and collegiate coaches and counts the Australian Institute of Sport, uh, Philadelphia 76ers and Harvard University as some of their clients. So if you'd like to get to know a little bit more about iMeasureU, head over to the website, which is iMeasureU.com or follow them on Twitter at iMeasureU. So without further ado, over to the episode with Darcy Norman. Thanks for tuning in to the Pacey Performance Podcast. So almost three years after part one and the hold, the current holder of the all-time downloaded, uh, number one all-time downloaded podcast, uh, Pace Performance Podcast in Darcy Norman. So welcome to a part two, Darcy. Thank you very much. Uh, let's see if we can go for two in a row. Absolutely. I have no doubt. So a few things have changed since last time we spoke. Like I say, it was June 16 and you were at Roma. So a few right. things have changed. We've we've met in person, which is very, um, very rare for me to actually meet a, uh, a podcast guest in person but obviously that was that was superb last summer in Rome but so a few things have changed just want to give us a bit of an overview of the changes and then we'll shoot straight back and go from background and how you actually got to Roma and then what you're doing now and we'll move from there all right perfect um yeah <clears throat> so after the season finished so I had a three-year contract in Rome and uh my family and I uh decided that we were interested in going back my kids were getting older so my son is 16 and my daughter 14 and uh we wanted to kind of get back to the states let them kind of finish their high school education uh and uh get back so that's kind of the big reason of why we uh, ended up moving back to the states and back to Lake Tahoe California more specifically a little town called Truckee, California, up in the mountains. It's kind of my my um, peaceful place, I guess, for the family. And uh, so we're based out of there, but now working as director of performance science for Kitman Labs and just uh, had the fortune of joining the U.S. men's national soccer team uh, with head coach Greg Bearhalter and head of performance there, Steve Tashin. Nice. So before Roma, give us the backstory leading up to Roma. People can probably get this on the on episode eighty nine, but it'd be nice to go through it again. I'm always interested because I always forget stuff. Yeah, I mean, um, gosh, got into soccer in 2008, starting up as a fitness rehab coach at Bayern Munich. Um, and then previous to that was working with Exos, uh, formerly Athletes Performance as PT strength coach. Then Bayern Munich in 2008 through 10, ended up coming back due to family reasons um, and started back with Exos and uh, doing consulting with Adidas and uh, then joining the German national team. So it was with them through the World Cup of 2014, uh, then moved over to Rome in 2015 as the head of uh, or performance director uh, or head of performance at AS Roma, <clears throat> overseeing uh, the club's uh, performance programs there from 2015 to 18. Then uh, right after the season ended, joined back up with the German national team for World Cup 2018, which didn't fare as well as 2014. And then uh, after that, uh, it was a, a quick trip home and and then you know got kind of reestablished settled uh back here in the states and then joined up with kitman and and now u.s soccer and then also Excellent. doing some other consulting things on the side yeah okay so a little matter of a, a world cup win um <laughs> bang, in, bang in the middle of that and uh, did you get to the, you got to the semis didn't you in the champions league at roma yeah at rome yep before? Yeah, so the final year we ended up in the semis. Uh, so we had a dramatic uh, come from behind uh, win yes. against Barcelona, which was kind of like winning the thing uh, for the city of Rome, which was great and great to be a part of. And then we had a good run against Liverpool, but we were kind of our own worst enemies and and made it hard on ourselves. So we ended up losing out in the semis against uh, against Liverpool. But uh, phenomenal experience and great great uh, great for the club. What was it like living, I mean, we obviously met up in Rome, but what was it like living in the city that's obviously football mad? 
Yeah, um, Rome is, gosh, it's a chaotic city. You know, it's got a ton of people. The infrastructure is not great from a public transport and bus system. So everyone's driving and, you know, you're trying to fit a lot of fish in, in a small river. And so you're just trying to, you know, find holes to get through in the traffic and get where you need to get. And so it was actually where I realized that uh, podcasts and audiobooks were um, a phenomenal part of my learning there. It just made me kind of change my mindset from sitting in traffic and that being, you know, a, a big pain to um, using the opportunity to just listen to books and podcasts and catch up on education. So it was actually a very beneficial time in that regard and obviously a massive learning experience, um, just a new culture, new language, um, new way of doing things, overseeing, you know, had a performance for a whole club um, and, uh, you know, working within a kind of pre-existing culture that had their certain belief systems and, you know, trying to upgrade things along the way and, and get results. Let's, let's have a little talk about that because I know that's, a, that's an interesting topic in itself. You had a couple of managers uh, during the time that you were at Roma. How difficult was it going from a U.S. culture and obviously you were involved at, at Exos with the German national team and then going to Italy, which is completely different culture, completely different way of life? How did you deal with that in terms of in, trying to influ influence what was going on um, from a performance standpoint? Yeah, I mean, it's great, uh, great uh, question, a pretty big question. The, um, I would say, you know, it was tough because we had, I had three different managers in the three years that I was there. Um, and so I kind of went in and, you know, I probably worked with 10 different coaches in the last 10 10 years. Um, and everyone's got a different way of doing things, different belief system. And so for me, I never got to spend a lot of time with one coach to really dial in a system. And so kind of the approach that we took there was creating a framework that, um, had enough, um, gosh, enough flexibility that you could manage. So I always kind of use the analogy of a library. So, you know, within that library, we had all the appropriate information or tried to get all the appropriate information we needed to answer questions and um, answer questions of the various coaches that came in and be flexible enough to, you know, periodize, plan, um, and track everything that we were doing, you know, depending or, or, or regardless of, of how the coach operated. And so that was kind of the, the approach I took. So it's a, a, I would say a pretty autonomous trying to think through all the various naming structures and, and periodization type planning and structures and ways of doing things. Um, so you could kind of be anything for anybody uh, in that regard. How hard was that to, to put together knowing the fluidity of, of, managers in in soccer especially in the uk and europe now to actually put something yeah, in place I mean, that was flexible enough right i think the you know um working with 10 10 managers in the last 10 years uh it gives you an opportunity to see a lot of different <laughs> yeah. things and keep modifying your system so every time you know you get a new manager your kind of system is is uh um tested to see if it holds up to how that person operates. Um, and so, it, you know, it provided a lot of opportunity to keep block testing your, your system. And I think, you know, the conclusion I came to, it really started with centralizing information and trying to get as much information as possible in a centralized place that was uh, referenceable, um, that you could, you know, kind of collate quickly to answer questions, whatever those may be that came up. Um, and that was flexible enough from a naming structure that, again, depending on a new coach, it would fit every mix and you could uh, cut the data any way you wanted um, to look at the various questions that managers or staff of the manager uh, might have. And then from there, you know, you could put the kind of the little nuances of how that particular manager liked to see it or look at it or discuss it or whatever the case may be. Mm -hmm. So what was the structure, and we might have discussed this beforehand, but what was the structure like before you got there at Roma? Um, you know, I think in Italy, I think it's a very uh, doctor-led um, 
program and it's very siloed. So, you know, the fitness coach usually comes with the coach. Uh, the doctor runs the, you know, kind of oversees the majority of, of everything around the performance and, and those kind of things. Um, and then, yeah, and then everyone kind of, you know, fits under that under that mix. And so the approach that we took was just having more of a, a flat structure where everybody is contributing to the greater good. So I always use the analogy of the soccer team itself. So you have attackers, defenders, um, midfielders, goalies, and no one position is more important than the others. You need everybody on the pitch to get the ball in the net. And so we took that same approach um, with our performance team. And so, you know, maybe your doctor is the attacker and your performance staff is the midfielders and your um uh, you know, physio or rehab stuff is, is your defenders. And sometimes the attackers have to defend and the defenders have to attack, but you have your general overall uh, roles and responsibilities and how you want to play in the system that you want to play in. And I think just like any team within that team that's on the pitch, you have a few key players in the various positions that create the backbone of the team that keeps everything running in a clean clean way. And, uh, and so that's kind of the approach that we took in putting together, um, the team, the type of system that we wanted to operate. Um, and it was, you know, a shared vision from all the people. We just gathered up all the staff, went through all the kind of previous issues that the club faced and where the roadblocks were, and then worked on problem solving on how to reduce those. But, you know, we kind of gave the autonomy to everybody in the team. Everybody had a voice. And, uh, you know, as a group, we tried to work out the best way to, to handle things and, you know, continue to reiterate on that. Mm-hmm. So let's have a little chat about the transition because I know when we'd when we'd spoke, you'd already give given Roma the, the heads up that you were that you were leaving. Uh, we had yeah. a little chat about you know potential things moving forward. You're going to go back home, and then there was didn't hear anything because you were getting yourself sorted. Then up the, the news came out on online on Twitter and LinkedIn that you'd gone to Kitman, and yep. me for one were thinking, "Wow, Kitman have have nailed it, uh, getting Darcy <laughs> on board." So what was the um, what was the reason for, for making that switch? Because I'm sure a lot of people thought, hmm, I wonder why he's made that switch and not just going to another team or national team. What, what was the thinking? Yeah, I mean, uh, part of it was personal. I think anybody that's worked in elite sport, it's hard to find a balance between family and, and work. Um, you know, I mean, we're we are in it because we love it. We love being in the day-to-day, but also that comes at a stress to the family. Um, and my family wanted to move back, so I had to figure out a balance of how I try and kind of stay in it, um, continue to, you know, help promote the field, try and move the field forward. And, you know, for me, um, I was thoroughly impressed with what Kitman was up to to make that happen. Um, you know, for something at Rome that I was always kind of challenged with was I was my own kind of limiting factor as far as trying to get information out of our data. And, you know, we had all the systems and, you know, as far as reporting and day-to-day reporting, weekly reporting, monthly reporting, but I wanted to get to a point to be able to answer deeper questions. And, um, you know, after I've known Stephen for a while at Kitman and, and, you know, talking with them, I knew that's what they were up to is, you know, they have these very unique analytic univariate multivariate tools within their software where you can start asking these more detailed, uh, deeper questions and getting answers around those, those questions, um, both from a bias. So if you have any, any, um, thoughts on why you might be getting injuries, you know, you can start looking into that and seeing what the statistical relationship of that is, or if it's just, you know, kind of a bias that you're seeing or a coach is, you know, you had two ankle injuries in a week and all of a sudden the coach wants to redo your whole ankle, you know, prehab program or, or gets attached to that, you know, you easily have the data to say, hey, no, that was a black swan and, you know, historically we're doing great and here's the relationship and how. So you, it gave you more real numbers to have more meaningful conversations to continue to upgrade stuff. And so that was something that was really meaningful for me that I thought you know, is the Shangri-La that everybody is shooting for and collecting this data. And, uh, and you know, I was really impressed with what they're up to and uh, excited to get on board to, you know, continue to be a part of that and, and have more learning and, and growth around that. And then also to be able to work with other teams and sports to see what's happening on the other side of the fence. Again, with people um, 
working for teams, you're kind of stuck in your one environment. And especially in European soccer, when you're uh, essentially working 12 months of the year, it's nonstop seven days a week. Uh, it's hard to kind of get out and see what else is happening in other parts of the world and other teams. Um, you know, there's a lot of bright practitioners out there and it's, it's great to have exposure to them or have time for, for more exposure around that. And, you know, try and pass on any experience I've had that may be helpful for them. So, so with the title Director of Performance Science, what does that what does that mean in day to day? Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, gosh, it's a lot of product innovation. Um, it's helping clients, exactly what I'd mentioned, you know, um, how can we help them uh, improve their workflows, answer their day-to-day questions that they may have around their data, um, and, you know, just provide uh, more insight into uh, what they're doing and how they can possibly upgrade their systems to do it better. Mm-hmm. Cool. So we, we, we dived into an an area last time, I believe, around injury reduction strategies. And I'd just like to tap into that again and, and maybe have a little discussion around this link between what people are providing information, people providing a lot of information in, t- in terms of research around injury reduction strategies, but actually what happens in practice. And the, the Nordic um, debate always comes up and maybe use that as a framework, I don't know. Um, but what happens in Italy with obviously a different culture, you've got this research that's saying do this times this uh, for so many days, but you've got this culture in Italy where they haven't, they've never been in the gym or have very limited experience in the gym. How do we pull them things together and maximize the, the, the kind of the knowledge that we have in a practical environment? And I'm sure that can be um that can be kind of transferred to other teams that you've worked with in terms of the practical um, element of the, of the research we're actually reading. Yeah. I mean, I always kind of reference this one book I read a long time ago called the checklist manifesto. And it was really a book around, um, you know, creating better systems. So they took how to inherently dangerous um, industries like the airline industry or nuclear power, not have catastrophic issues and they have them by not um, by having these checklists. And so, you know, and then once you get these checklists in place, it maintains a consistency that you can then operate. And from that consistency, then you can, with more confidence, continue to upgrade your systems to see, okay, is this helping? Is it not helping? So it's almost like running mini research projects. And in some ways, it's very anecdotal. And I think when a lot of this research comes out, that's what this research is based off of, right? They take this kind of project, they run it, they see like, hey, there's a 30% chance that if you do these exercises, it, you know, it'll reduce hamstring injuries. But it may not fit into your system based on the players you have, how you operate, how you plan. And so it's really important for practitioners, I think, to have their, you know, figure out their own system first, and then, you know, continue to work on how do we refine it? What are we seeing in our data and our information that we can continue to upgrade? And so for me, I was never a guy that used Nordics. I feel like um, a lot of people don't do them well, and that actually can create, if not done well, or not set in a good progression, can uh, create more problems. And so, you know, we've always had good success with our programming and not having hamstring injuries and we don't use Nordics. And so um, it's not to say that I'm saying that they don't work. It's just, I didn't find them useful in how we programmed in our systems. Have I put them in people's programs for sure? Um, But I want to make sure that they can do them with the utmost quality. So they're getting, you know, the most bang for the buck uh, in that. So I think it comes down to having good structures and systems in place. And then from there, you can continue to upgrade and modify your systems based on um, what you're seeing with your population group. Mm-hmm. Cool. So this another point that we have had a chat about, um, I think on the previous podcast and then that, that time in between, of how high-performance managers can make the biggest impact on not only the performance but on their the staff that they're obviously managing having gone through that process obviously director of um performance at roma and then obviously previous positions before then looking back what was the where is the biggest area that 
uh, a high performance manager can, or director of performance, whatever you want to call it, can make an impact? Yeah, I think it's it's. Um, I think having a good vision of what you're trying to accomplish, getting the staff that you have on board with that vision, and ideally, I think it's having a shared vision of what that is, so they have skin in the game, so to speak, um, and they're more bought into the process. And then, you know, I think the next thing is just constant communication. Uh, I don't think you can communicate enough on, hey, how's it going? How are we doing? What's your thoughts, opinions, um, and getting feedback in those systems to keep trying to move the needle forward and. That I think the more you give autonomy to your staff um, to help move that under a certain guideline or, or vision that where, you know, or direction that everybody knows and agrees that's where we want to go, then I think you get everybody rowing the boat in the same direction and, and, you know, you get there quicker and I think you end up with better results in the long term. But it is hard because it's an integration between, you know, your therapy staff, your medical staff, your performance staff, and then, uh, you know, ultimately your technical, tactical and, and executive group. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Darcy. Hope you're enjoying part one. So over in part two, we discuss Darcy's role with the U.S. men's national team. And within that, we discuss what he's learned from both sides of the coin. As I mentioned at the start, working in a club setting and now an international setting. Uh, Maximising his time with his players on camps, in tournaments, etc. And also the realities of working in a national team and being a jack of all trades. Not just being the SNC guy, but being the warm up guy, the bottles guy. You know, urine tests, everything when you're on camp and uh, and mucking in to do to do everything that's needed. So really enjoyable part two coming up. But just before we do get into part two, I want to say a big thanks to Black Box Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. So Black Box are a specialist gym manufacturer based in Belfast in Northern Ireland and are doing fit outs for everyone from uh, private gyms to national rugby teams to club rugby teams, football teams in Dubai, Australia, America, the UK, everywhere. So all equipment is manufactured on site, which certainly gives me peace of mind if I was ordering from um, from a gym manufacturer, from a gym um, provider. So if you are looking for a full gym fit out or just some extra bits to, uh, to add to what you've already got, Definitely consider Black Box and they can be found uh, online at blkboxfitness.com and on Twitter and Instagram at blkboxfitness. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics for also sponsoring this episode today. So Hawking Dynamics offer the world's first wireless force plate testing system. So the Hawking Dynamics system is built around what coaches want so they can test in the real world and not just in the lab. So you're able to capture reliable data on all athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor progress from their cloud-based system from anywhere in the world. So as I've mentioned, the Hawking Dynamics force plates are wireless, which means they're portable, and they're also trusted by teams at a number of different levels in a number of different sports. So integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring system uh, could not be easier and more affordable. So if you want to get to know a little bit more about Hawking Dynamics or actually see their plates in action, Head over to the website, uh, which is hawkingdynamics.com, um, which you can do, I and mean, you can also schedule a demo, and follow them on Twitter at hawkingdynamics. So, how do you, how did you go about communicating when you first went to Roma? What what was the first thing you did in terms of communicating that vision to all them different members of staff who obviously yeah. probably spoke a couple of different languages at the same time? Right, right. Um, so I had obviously um, one of the guys that I went with, Ed Lippy, who uh, was our head strength coach. Him and I kind of sat down and outlined, you know, where we wanted to go with things. And then we immediately, when things got kicked off, had an offsite with the staff and, uh, you know, tried to first seek to understand what all the moving pieces were for the staff and what issues were uh, existing. Um, trying to come up with suggestions and create solutions on how we could mitigate those. Um, and, you know, in the, as we were going through them, obviously thinking, you know, okay, is what we came up with our game plan um, going to help or hurt this scenario? And, you know, fortunately for us that what we uh, plan to have in place were all solutions to help mitigate the issues that the staff were having previous to our arrival. And, um, and so, you know, from there, I think it was 
fairly, I wouldn't say easy, but um, because it, it, it did have its challenges with communication and, and previous history and things like that. But we spent two days together kind of outlining everything, going through the pieces. And then, you know, we had to put an action plan uh, together, which again, we had generally outlined, but now we could solidify because we, you know, had gone through and met with all the staff and communicated what we were trying to do. And, and from there, we, you know, started making things happen. And how, so how often was that revisited? Yeah, I mean, I think it was, we would have meetings. I mean, you know, you kind of have your regular performance meetings every day before the day gets going. Then you had weekly staff meetings um, and then kind of monthly review processes. So in the, in the, short term or at the beginning, we were having a lot more meetings up front just to make sure that we were getting things off our list. Um, we had to do educational upgrades and various software pieces that we were using to collect data. Um, and then how that data was going to get spit out. We had to meet more frequently on our kind of return to play protocol, um, how we were programming in the gym and how that related to the pitch. Um, and so we had more meetings earlier on to make that happen. Um, so kind of using that that slogan that we learned at Excess motivation through education and uh, to continue to move people on the same page. And then, you know, we would use instances that come up as various case studies um, and what we could do better. Uh, you know, what happened in the situation? Was there anything that we could have done better um, moving forward if something were to rise like that again? And, uh, you know, and then continue to refine the process. Was there any specific influences that you had in terms of putting them systems in place maybe anything that was that kind of outside sport that we we previously chatted about um you know i think the gosh it's a great question i think obviously it, a lot comes from experience um i did you know was struggling earlier on uh, in rome and I think the the big thing that really helped was reading a lot of kind of business books um, or books around different models of organization and models of structures. And, uh, and then through those models, you could kind of see like, hey, this relates to us in this way or that relates to us in this way. And so one model that I really glued on to, um, I guess the model that I was in my head after, the, after we won the World Cup was around this, comp, or sorry, supply chain management, where it was a very, you know, how do you refine every piece of uh, the structure? And so it's dialed in 100%. And so that's all at a supply chain management and, and uh, using that business structure. And so around planning, sourcing, so that's hiring your people, making the product, which is training, your returns, which is rehab, then logistics. So how do you, what are we efficiently doing to logistically get teams from A to B to training to workflows, all those things. Things. And then obviously the sales is is winning games. And so is it relating to what we're trying to accomplish, which is winning games. And in Rome, you know, if anyone knows Italy, um, it's not the same as Germany <laughs> from a structure <laughs> from, from a structure standpoint. Wow. And, yeah. and so um, you know, a lot of those processes weren't in place. And so we took a lot of the processes that we, you know, that I was used to having, that Ed was used to having, and what the pre-existed from the staff that was there. And what I found that was really lacking was this, you know, we had the pieces um, or a good portion of the pieces and working to refine it. But where we struggled was this interaction between the pieces. So you could have the best parts, right? Like you could have the best players in the world playing on a team, but you won't necessarily win the game because it's the interactions between the guys are just important as the guys themselves. And so um, a model that I clung on to was complex systems thinking. And there it talks about, you know, kind of who you are as an individual in the complex system, obviously appreciating what a complex system is, and then who you are as an individual in that complex system, how those individuals come together um, in a shared vision. And then from there, what are the mental models that all the people in that complex system, uh, what are their mental models around everything you do in your day to day? And then from there, you know, if everyone's mental models are on the same page, uh, they all have a shared vision, then moving forward, you know, you become a, a higher learning organization that then allows your growth rate to increase uh, tenfold. And so those were some of the things that really helped me get my arms around um, 
all the moving pieces and the interactions that happen on a day-to-day basis that you can't really put a finger on. How did the change, maybe going over what we've already discussed, but how did the change in managers change your thinking on these systems that were influential? Did that make it, didn't make any difference or did it make a difference when these chop and change happened? Yeah, I mean, it made a difference in the sense on it helped me ask better questions to get to the end result quicker because I felt like based on those um, buckets, I had kind of better frameworks to ask questions to understand what their needs were so that we could more quickly, um, you know, get them what they needed and get everybody moving and up to speed as quickly as possible. Because as you know, a new manager comes in, you're, you know, a week later, you're in preseason and then, you know, the season started and you're off to the races. So you got to sort out those things really quickly. Um, so you don't have a lull at the beginning of the season and have any problems um, winning games. And, you know, cause that all adds up to the end. So it's, it's, uh, it actually helped me cause it, the, you know, I kept looking at different frameworks and finding ones that were diverse enough to meet, you know, the challenges that I was having and uh, that answered the questions that I needed answering to kind of keep moving the needle and, and be dynamic enough to deal with the, the different managers and understand the different kind of moving pieces between the players, the managers, the club, the staff, all those scenarios. Yeah. So let's have a little chat about your other role with the U.S. men's national team. And having yeah. been on now on both sides of the fence, which you had a you'd been on before anyway with Bayern and the German national team, but right. are you doing anything differently now, having been back on the international circuit, having obviously moved from from Rome, doing anything differently to in, in terms of the interaction between the players and the sorry the players from the club and the national setup. Um, so I probably have more of a role in the U.S. men's scenario than I did in the German scenario. So um, Nick Dietrich and Chad Forsyth and, and Benny Kugel were the guys um, that had stronger roles, and I was more of a supplement, you know, coming in in various camps and tournaments to continue to help move the needle. Um, where here I have a little more um, day-to-day uh dialogue with all the staff, technical, tactical staff, as well as performance and medical and so forth. So um, I think just being more in the swing of things, but I, I would say the the approach is very similar. Um, Greg, the head coach, is a super diligent guy, um, great communicator, um, very organized. And so, you know, we have good planning meetings going into tournaments. Um, we have post uh, or sorry, national team breaks. We have good post um meetings, you know, we've had one, one break, uh, or one national team break so far. So that's going to be the routine is, you know, going in, having a good plan and then coming out debriefing what worked, what didn't work, how do we refine it moving forward and, and kind of continuing to go that way. And, and one big piece is having consistent communication with the athletes, both on the technical tactical side, as well as kind of their health and wellness and performance. And so, um, you know, Steve and I are going to kind of divide and conquer on players and teams, um, from an, uh, uh, international standpoint. And then Steve is kind of the main point of contact here domestically in the U S for the MLS clubs. But obviously I'm happy to help wherever, wherever need be. Um, just as he's got more of a time commitment for it. So, um, I think it's going to be very similar. And then it's, you know, just dealing with the various challenges culturally, geographically, um, that we face here in the U S versus versus in Germany. So in terms of that plan going into camps, talk to us a little bit about the process of developing that plan and what that actually looks like for you guys, especially from a physical point of view, obviously, as well as integrating all the other departments as well. Yeah. I think a big one comes around communication, trying to get a pulse on where the athletes are at any given time. So trying to keep track of what their minutes played are, how they're doing, um, having great communications with their clubs and their performance staff to see, you know, what are their routines, what are their day-to-day needs, and then how do we, you know, kind of keep those moving with the national team when we come together um, so that we can kind of, you know, plan to the, to the 
most common denominator, um, but still have a system that's individualized for athletes when they come in from their various countries and teams um, to get them on the same page as quickly as possible. And then, you know, same thing when they go out, giving information back to their teams so they can reintegrate with their club and keep going because it doesn't do anybody any good if, if, you know, something gets missed and that player gets injured. So we all, I think, have a common shared goal of trying to get the best performance out of the player um, because that helps them in the long run. and, uh, you know, and then keeping them healthy uh, so everybody can value from, from their performance in the group. How difficult is that balance of having your philosophy, your beliefs on what they should be doing, but then you're receiving, potentially receiving a player or players that doesn't fit. They haven't been doing the work in terms of how that, your philosophy fits. Yeah, I think it's... to bring them in and work with them. Yeah, I think it's less about me or us as it is more important as it is about the beliefs of that athlete because people make decisions on your belief system. And so, um, and you got to respect that, you know, they make choices based on what they know, what they've experienced and, and, and all those pieces. And so it's up to us to first understand what their belief system is. uh, And then, you know, how do we work with them to maybe upgrade certain areas of it or have conversations to dig deeper into why they believe what they believe. And then, you know, what is, what are our pieces that we can continue to have deeper conversations about to, you know, upgrade what they may be thinking about a certain aspect and you know and that's a dynamic process obviously we're always growing and learning what you believed you know two years ago is totally probably different than what you believe today based on all the great people you've had the opportunity to speak to you know on your podcast and so it's something that's you know constantly evolving and you got to keep an open mind for where they're at and and um, where you're at as a practitioner where you're at as a team and uh, you know and I think as long as you keep a, a good open line of communication around all those pieces, then you can have, um, you can, you know, amicably agree to disagree and, you know, and everyone stays happy and, and, you know, work forward. And, and I think if you also keep an open conversation and negative things do happen, then it also allows you better platform to have conversations on, you know, how you might be able to prevent those things moving forward in the future. Mm-hmm. So in terms of these camps, it's obviously a a short space of time, super intense, want to get as much out of these players as possible. But then on the flip side, you know that they've maybe come from, you know, they've had a nine-hour flight and they're straight into training or they've got, you know, they're in mid-seasons, they've got games immediately um, post-camp. How are you maximizing your time with these guys, but obviously being very conscious that of the all the other demands that they've actually got in their club careers and their life and et cetera, et cetera. How are you managing that? Yeah, I think you, yeah, you said it well. I think it's uh, first being aware of all those pieces. So when you do the programming and then communicating to the players why you've made the decisions you've made um, so that, again, you can have conversations if you need to upgrade some of those decisions based or it allows you when you have those communications, it allows you to check your kind of mental model against their mental model to make sure you're on the same page. So the expectations are the same. And so, you know, trying to understand where everybody's flying from, if they've played, what's their accumulated minutes, you know, trying to get as much information from the club, whether it's GPS stuff, um, you know, injury issues, individualized programming, um, corrective stuff that they may be working on to improve their overall person and having that information. So you can try and figure out ways to integrate it as best as possible in your, in your system and scenario. And, uh, and then, you know, same thing going back is understanding, okay, giving that information um, to, the, to the club of the player so that they know what they're getting when that player gets back. And they can, you know, have their conversations with that player and, and go through hopefully the, you know, a similar kind of conversation so they, um, you know, can integrate as, as best they can to, to, for the greater good of, of both groups. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how many teams your squad comes from, but say 20 for argument's sake. You've got 20 different clubs doing 20 different things using 20 different systems, whether it be GPS, for example. (laughs) Maybe not 20 different GPS systems, but maybe three or four. 
how hard is that to deal with them? Not only the amount of information that you're getting, but the amount of different sources of information that you're getting and then actually make sense of it to make a decision from. Yeah, I think, um, you know, in, it seems like things are getting streamlined and that gap is is getting smaller just with globalization and information and things like your podcast, um, you know, that people kind of get a sense of what's happening or have a better picture of what's happening around the world. And as a result, if they're good practitioners, they try and put some of those best practices in place. And so I think it's getting easier than it was years ago because you had some people that maybe didn't use GPS and some people that did. And now, you know, I would say a good portion of clubs are all using GPS. Um, and so, you know, I think it's a layered system where as a, as a group, Steve and I talk through, okay, what questions do we want to ask the clubs? So we're asking both the same questions of the clubs of information that we're trying to get out that helps us understand what maybe data that we need to collect from our end to support those clubs that maybe we wouldn't otherwise collect. Um, and so we might do it just on behalf of, you know, what that, what, maybe we find a good majority of the clubs are collecting on and then, you know, try and get that in a structure that we can report back to them in a timely fashion, you know, essentially within 24 hours of the player going back, we have a report out to those clubs that give a breakdown of all the data that we collect as well as any notes medically and, and on the performance side that, uh, you know, that we may be note, we think may be noteworthy and, you know, and we try and list as much of that stuff when we talk to the clubs, ask them, you know, what can they provide us? What do they feel comfortable providing us so that, you know, if we need to gather any more information from the player, we can do it. And, you know, you at the end of the day, you get what you get and you got to make the best decisions based on on what you have and, you know, and hope the rest of it kind of falls into place. And and so I think as long as you're giving it a good, good college try, as they say here in the U.S., um, you know, that's all you can ask for. And I think then, you know, it's having those conversations with the players directly um, to get their insight on where they're at and what their needs are and what they feel like they may need help with or or their club is able to support them in or maybe not. You know, some clubs they come from are maybe understaffed where they don't have uh, a big staff to help them with individualized programming or or you know, whatever the case may be, meal, meal, meal planning and things of that nature. And, you know, those are areas that we can then support them. And, you know, we share all that information back to the club so that they know exactly kind of where the information is coming from and what that information is. Mm -hmm. I just got one more question for you before I let you go. Cause I know you're, you're a busy man. You've got plenty of traveling coming up. So in, in terms of the debrief post international um, gathering in, camp what what defines your success you're having the debrief what is um what's the what's the discussion like it was this a successful camp was it an unsuccessful camp how are you measuring that across the kind of physical aspect and then obviously integrating the other uh, aspects of the performance team yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think it starts with games one and uh, and injuries. You know, no injuries uh, that we can send all the players back to their respective clubs in good in good shape. So I think it starts there. That's ultimately I think what we're trying to do. And then you know, did our processes and systems facilitate all those things? And you know, did we um, could we have done things better? Even though maybe we didn't have any injuries and we won both the games games, did we feel internally that things ran smoothly? So did the conversations around the technical tactical aspect line up with what we were trying to do on a performance side? Um, did what we were trying to do technically, tactically from an education standpoint, was that easy to deliver? And how did the players absorb it? How did the players absorb any kind of performance information we were trying to, you know, uh, educate them on or nutrition information we were trying to educate them on? Um, how did they do from a individualized, you know, did they follow through with their programming and how was the participation in the gym weight room session? So it was more the, I would say, participation, interaction, and the ability to execute on what our plan was going in. And then, you know, then the wins and losses, um, injuries. And then from there, you know, in that post brief, we try and game plan, okay, what do we have coming up and, and what pieces do we need to 
kind of work to refine? What maybe technologies do we need to look at to help um, make it that more efficient and, uh, you know, continue that refinement process? Cool. Well, thank you very much for that. Where's the where's the best place for people to uh, to get in touch if they have any questions or just want to follow your progress on jumping on flights here and everywhere around the globe? Yeah, um, man, you can always uh, email me at Darcy at kitmanlabs dot com. Um, I'll be presenting at a few conferences. So Kitman has their kind of yearly European conference coming up March twentieth in uh, London. So I'll be there presenting uh, with a bunch of other great speakers. So looking forward to that and panels on just really good um, interactive information that you know hopefully people can take home and put into place as soon as possible. Um, and then you can also reach me at dnorman at ussoccer.org. Um, so I try and uh, uh, answer all emails. Sometimes I'm a little better uh, at that than others, but um, those are probably the two places. I'm not a big social media roam. Probably one of the things that taught me, there was seven talk radio shows, 24-hour talk radio shows, just talking about Rome besides our own, which made the eighth. Um, so I learned really quickly to stay off social media um, because they could take anything and start to bend it or move it or talk about it and create something that you know wasn't worth um, digging into. And so uh, I, I'm not much on social media. Uh, uh, I am at Darcy Norman on Twitter, but again, I tend to be a reposter, not uh, sending out a bunch of information. I stay tend to stay a little quiet on uh, on social media. So, and Facebook is a private thing for me. Um, you could check out my profile on uh, LinkedIn, and I guess those would be the the main main points. Sweet. Well, and as well as the, um, just want to mention as well as the Kitman Labs conference in march are you speaking at any other conferences coming up or not yeah actually uh i'm fortunate enough to get the opportunity to speak at the mit sloan conference so that'll be beginning nice. of march yeah so yep. i'm looking forward to that and um and then i will be speaking at a buddy's conference out uh john cole jc uh out at the mountain con um conference in vale colorado and that's beginning of may and there'll be some good speakers around there i also do work for a local ski academy up here uh, called Sugar Bowl, um, helping them uh, with all their programming and, and sports science or performance. And uh, so I've always, I grew up ski racing, so it's always been a passion of mine and partly why we live in the mountains. So excited about uh, helping them out and uh, giving back to the community. And, and so I'll be out uh, speaking at the Mountain Education Conference that JC and his group's putting on out there uh, beginning of May. Superb. Well, thank you very much for coming yeah. up for part two, Darcy. Really appreciate it. And uh, I can't believe it's nearly three years since we did the first one. So long overdue. Yeah, well, time flies and hopefully it people does. get as much out of this as the last one and uh, appreciate all the support. And um, yeah, it was great meeting in person and we'll see you hopefully in London. Absolutely will. Thanks, mate. All right, take care. All the best. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast. I hope you enjoyed the part two with Darcy. Firstly, massive thanks to Darcy for giving up his time in an unbelievably busy schedule with traveling around with the US national team to traveling around and going to conferences with Kitman. He's a very busy man, so massive thanks to Darcy for coming on for a part two. Also, big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, to I Measure You, to Black Box Fitness, and of course, Kitman Labs for sponsoring this episode today. So we've got some really cool guests coming up over the next couple of weeks and a couple of masterclasses, masterclass part twos. So make sure you press subscribe on your chosen podcast player and I will speak to you next week.